How does that happen? You sure? Because you all know that I went to seminary for a long time, right? I did a lot of training. I should be smart enough to know what to speak about, right? What? So I want, if you guys are all in agreement with that, I want you to think about what you just said to me. So with my education, and I need God to speak to me, where do you think you are? Lost and lonely. You're not lost. You once were lost, but now you're found. That's right. What did I say? And so with that, we need God. We need God in our lives, but stuff's going to come up, and as we, we're just going to barely crack into the book of James today. Barely. And it is so deep, so rich, and so thick, it's crazy. As I'm, as I'm reading through this morning, and I'm studying up on stuff, it's like, wow, James, like what's going down? How many times can you read the same thing and be amazed and blessed by it? How many times? Like, certainly if you've read it 10 times, how many of you have ever read your favorite book more than once? More than twice? Three times. Four times. Five. Six. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. You want to just tell us? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight times. Okay. So twenty-eight is a really big number, one of which not many people could say they've ever done that. Now, the difference for me in a book and the Bible is that I get revelation from it every single time. I absolutely love it. I, uh, I love the Bible, and the Bible speaks to me every single time. And that's how I can know and can confirm in my heart and all that I am and all that I believe that the Word of God is a living, breathing book. It's more than just a book. It's more than just a book of morals. It's more than just a book of this or that or the one thing that you need. It is so vast in inspiration, vast in motivations, vast in just so many different facets that I need in my life. It helps me to see that I'm not the only one. We were talking about country music before and how you lose your truck. And I remember being a young country music fan and I loved it because I wasn't the only miserable person around. Like, these people were singing my song, right? Like, like hallelujah, I'm not alone. <laughs> and so, so I read the Bible and I find out that I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I have struggles. I go through sufferings. I don't always say or do the right things. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. And I need God. And the Word of God just keeps reminding me of how much I need him. And that's a beautiful thing. And the book of James is going to start talking to us about this very thing. So it's really, really amazing. We're going to walk through this. I felt like God really speaking to me this morning, telling me that we're going to do the book of James in its entirety. So if you're ready, have you found the book of James in your Bibles?
Never fear, honey. <laughs> Because I love you, I will let you use mine. Everybody there that wants to be there? The book of James, written in AD 50 by James one of the brothers of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of this book is teaching how to live out one's faith, to be a doer, not just a hearer. Can you imagine that? Like, that's not just something that pastors just keep speaking to people. Right? Like, how many times have you heard the pastor say that stuff? Like, you got to start doing stuff. So you got to be active in your faith. That's not just something they teach us in cemetery. It's something that the Word of God teaches us. And so here's an entire book devoted to that. Can you imagine? Like, if you're, if you're struggling for your life, what do you think some of the things are? And so it's nice to know the purpose of these books. And so when we're reading it, we can look for common threads through the book. So even if you get lost, you can go back and go, what was this book about? What's he driving at here? I don't understand this. Anybody ever read a chapter of the book or, or verses and not have a clue what they're talking about? Yeah. So the neat thing about these authors and the way that God wrote these books through these men is that they have themes, they have points, and they have purpose to them. So you can always go back to that and you can start looking and trying to figure out how does this go back to what the main point or purpose of the Bible or this book is. So how would, it, how would it just be calling me to be a doer and not just a hearer? It's written, James was, James was writing to what scholars believe to be the diaspora, the dispersion, which is Jews that didn't return after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So the fall of Jerusalem came, they spread out. The Jews would spread out and go to where it was safe, go to lands where they could make a living, go to places where they could do what they called what they were called to do. Why would this matter? Three reasons. The disciples were doing what they were told. James, the brother of Jesus, was doing what he was told to do. Who remembers Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Go forth into Judea, Samaria, and all the lands, and make disciples. So now here comes James. He's going out. Now James is not preaching necessarily to Gentiles. He's preaching to Jews, the diaspora. Those who were dispersed, and he's going out and finding them. Right? And so James is preaching to these people. What's the other group? If you were either a Jew or you were a what? A Gentile. Amen. So you can maintain your faith outside the church. It'll be hard. So he's teaching a lesson. Like you can do it. There's struggles. So what do you think? What do you think these people were experiencing as they went out into this land? They were Jews, so they had their religion, they had their faith, they had their way of life. Now they're into a different land. They did things differently. Would that be easy or would that be hard? 
Right, it, it would come with a certain measure of difficulty. So we always got to be thinking about this, and we got to be putting ourselves into the scriptures and start thinking about what that's like. How do we go from the church out into the world and live our lives as Christians out there? How do we do that? Or do we just assimilate and nobody would be able to tell if we're Christian or Gentile? Right, is that, is that a, like a reality in our lives? Can anybody tell that you are Christian by the way that you act? By the things that you do, by the way that you carry yourself, by the way that you speak? Do you carry the character of Christ with you wherever you go? It can be tough. So the third one, the diaspora was more cultural than geographical. So they were all over the place. It wasn't just they, they left Jerusalem and like scooted over here to Samaria, which they wouldn't have done. Samaritans were not, not deemed a, a very, there's a lot of history there that we're not going to cover right away. But they weren't just there, they were all over. So they carried their culture with them wherever they went. So whether they go here or there or anywhere, even if you go to Poinette, you still have to carry that, that faith in Christ. You have to carry that culture inside of you. Poinette, um, Lodi, right? Africa. Africa, wherever you go. Their Jewishness would have been under attack for a long time. And now Jesus. What stops you and I from walking out as Christians openly, unapologetically, carrying the characteristics of Christ no matter where we go? What stops us? Is it deemed a good thing in many places? Does Christianity carry a good reputation with it? Or do you hear some of those things like, oh, you're one of those? Or don't bring up your Jesus here. There's places that it's okay to say God bless you, and there's places where it's not okay to say God bless you. There's places where you can speak the name of Jesus Christ, and there's places where you're not. Have you ever felt like you find that person somewhere, and you're like, somehow you get to the point of the conversation where you find out they follow Jesus, and you almost breathe this sigh of relief, like, Oh, good! I can talk to you! Right? It happens. Like, it's a reality. It's a reality for all of us. But the question is, why? Why? Why is it that our faith in Christ can't be something that we hold first and foremost? Is it possible to be a Bible thumper without thumping people with the Bible? Yes. Yes. So why don't we do it? If it's possible, it takes practice, okay? It takes faith, and we're going to learn about that today. Because right away, James is getting into faith. Like, y'all got to walk in faith. And y'all got to deal with some stuff, even though you're getting thumped by the world. You still need faith. All right? And so these are things to remember. Always remember these things. If you haven't written them down on the back of your bulletin, maybe you should, because these are highlights. These are things. 
All you're doing is what God told you to do. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? Are you doing that? Are you struggling with the second point? Or can you realize that Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, is empowering you to do what he's called you to do? Third, you can be Christian no matter where you go. So how is it that we don't carry these things? You guys, if you write it down and you take it with you, to wrap it up in your pocket, do whatever, make a little note of it. So a lot of, a lot of scholars talk about Martin Luther hating the book of James. And some will even tell you that Luther wanted to pull it out. He wanted to take it out of the canonical Bible and take it out of the order and just set it off with maybe, maybe the other books that the Catholic Church did, that the Catholic Church used, the Apocrypha. So it might be okay there. But it certainly wouldn't be. And so Luther, like I said, a lot of people said that he wanted it out. So this is a quote from him circa 1952. Therefore, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel in it. That's pretty harsh words. Have I told you guys my story about preaching through 1 Corinthians the first time? And then again the second time? So the first time was in Montana, and I felt God calling me to preach through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I remember taking it from the viewpoint of, of God being really mad, Paul being PO'd, and he's just like hammering these people. And you can read it that way, and just bam, 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 bam. But as I grew in my relationship with God as I was a pastor longer and longer and longer, the next time that I did it was probably four years later. And I preached through it again, but this time at Living Water in Sun Prairie, where I became the interim pastor. And I realized that God was speaking love and Paul was being an encourager. The words were not of anger, but the words, the words had to be spoken in a certain way so that the people would get it, right? Have you ever spoken to somebody? How about the old, the old comedian back in the 60s or 70s? Class, class, class. Class, shut up! <laughs> right? Have you ever, who's got kids? And you say, honey, nothing. Honey, nothing. Hey, kid, come on! Why you always gotta yell at me? Because you don't listen. I spoke to you five times and you didn't understand it. Anybody ever elevate like that? I'm doing it in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's a time when you have to speak to people. And there's a time, always you need to speak in love, but we need to speak in truth as well. And sometimes, just as in that book of 1 Corinthians, Paul was being loving. He was being concise to the point, like the time is now, you guys got to get it. You're walking backwards, sideways, upside down anyway, but the way that you're supposed to. You're screwing up. You're making a mess of this. All right? So all that to say, the whole point of that was to say that I learned from the first time that I preached it and felt that I was doing the scripture justice because 
I felt that in my spirit. I studied, and I, that's what I got, and that's the way I delivered it. Years later, I was more educated, possibly. I had the spirit moving in a different way, and I brought it a different way. So here, in 1522, Luther is saying that it's really an epistle of straw. What's, what's straw back then? What was in their beds? Straw. They would pack their beds. So it's a really utilitarian thing. It's not like chaff or something that would be burned up. It's not useless. He's not saying that it's not that it's useless. But a lot of people for a lot of time took this as Luther saying the book is worthless. He's not. It's very utilitarian. But he doesn't necessarily grasp the intent of the gospel as in Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection in it that you shall be saved. This is more a response to the gospel, right? So he's quoted as saying that, and people took it out of context. People said things. But here he is in 1546. Though this epistle of St. James was rejected by the ancients, I praise it and consider it a good book because it sets up no doctrines of men, but vigorously promulgates the law of God. So though some people didn't like the book, didn't understand it, it really helps people to understand. Like, this is not about man and not about man's laws, but about God's laws, about God's love, about God's calling. And Paul's, so 24 years later, he's talking about this being a good book for the law of God. The book of James is broke up into it, so it starts with a greeting in 1-1. And two is perfection through the implanted world. Three, works done by those whom the world has been planted. Four, humbling oneself in light of the coming judgment. And then five, proper speaking while waiting for the Lord. So these are the points that we're going to hit, and we'll tear them all down. We'll rip them apart. We'll rip apart the scriptures. We'll see what God's speaking to them as well as us. Remember, one of my biggest points is how do we get into the scripture? How do we navigate Inside, how do we put ourselves into the Word of God so that it becomes relevant to us? Right? The Book of God is relevant yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we need to learn that it is in how we can put ourselves in. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we getting to? It's hard, but we can do it. We're done. All right. James, let me pray real quick and we'll start. So, Father God, we thank you. We love you. We ask for your presence in this message, that you would help each person hear what they need to hear, that you would help each person to, to understand the, the very things that you're calling us to, Lord God. We love you so much, and we thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, so first words from James. James, a servant of God. So he's opening up with a servant of God. He's letting you know who he is, right? This is really important, because where are you? How do you fit in that? Because are we not called to die to self and live in Christ, right? And if so, then we are servants to God. And when we get into the first, into the first verse, you're going to see something that's actually really cool. Because people don't understand God 3 and 1. The God in 3 and 1. They say it's nowhere in there. Well, it might not say that God has 3 and 1, but it does tell us things. And we need to be looking for these. Because when we learn these things, these are points where people of the world, when we go out there, remember we were talking about going out there and being Christian, people out there 
will try and tell us that what we believe in is a bunch of malarkey. When we learn, study, and know, when we embrace, when we take in the Word of God, we are strengthened to speak the truth out there. Amen? So it's a really good thing. The last words, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is the mission. What's the last stuff in Matthew, in the book of Matthew? Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? This is an extension of that. This is, this is speaking of it. This is speaking of God's love. This is speaking of God's mission. Right here, the first and last is bookend by God. It's bookend by our love for God. So we're to love God and we're to love our neighbor. We have, we have one and two, the great commission and the great commandment right here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's easily missed. You can read the book just as words on a page, or you can read the book to get into the words of the page. James, sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament, the book of James practically and faithfully reminds Christians how to live. From person, perseverance to true faith, to controlling one's tongue, submitting to God's will, and having patience, this book aids readers in living authentically and wisely for Christ. So now we know what the point of the book is. Now we're starting to get what we should be looking for. How can we fit into that? What are some of the struggles that you have in your life? How many of you guys are patient? Have patience galore. I do when it fits me. But boy, I tell you what, don't get on that other side because I lose my patience. Right? Like anybody got triggers where your patience is shot? Instantly? Like, do you end done, son? We ain't having no more fun. It's over. Let's get this straightened out. Right? Um, true faith in controlling one's tongue, submitting to God's will. Alright, so James 1. James is servant of God. Alright? James is servant of God. So, God. Now he says, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many is that? That's two. Well, we know of the Holy Spirit from Genesis 1. We have one, two, and three right here. Paul, Paul is letting you know that God and Jesus, while being the same, are not the same. Does that make sense? And this is a, one of the hardest things in theology to try and explain to understand because we can recognize them as separate while being together which our finite thinking, we don't normally think of that. We don't normally think of ourselves as body, spirit, soul. Right? We think of ourselves just as us, like this is me. And if you want to go from there, then you got the body, the brain, and the heart. Okay? So James, the servant of God and of Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings, This is one that people stumble with all the time. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, 
and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Count it all joy. How could he say this? What is he saying? The secret, which isn't a secret, is in here. All the trials and tribulations in your life, you have an out. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? These are these places where we need to start putting some stuff together, start understanding that we walk in faith and not by the flesh. When we walk by the flesh, we can see and understand and struggle with the things that we struggle with. But we know that God always has a way out of our issues, the things that and by enduring some of the struggles in our lives, we can actually build up faith. How do we build up faith? Just by going through stuff. You don't. You build up your faith when you actually utilize or walk in your faith. When you learn to surrender to God and say, God, I'm struggling with this. How do I get out of this? You see how that works? Like, that is the part you're going to the gym when you're going to God. You're going to the bench press, you're going to the curl bar, you're going to whatever it is that you're going to when you're going to God, and you're getting in there and you're ripping some reps. Just getting after them, cranking them out. And you get stronger by doing that. So every time we go to God, every time we go to God in faith, every time we go to God in faith, we're building up our strength. We're building up our spirituality. We're producing steadfastness. How many of you guys, when stuff happens in your world, just get knocked sideways? Absolutely silly. And it can depend on the measure of it, but oftentimes. You spend a lot of time like, whew, man, I'm just whipped from this. This beat me up pretty darn hard. Thank you, Dad. I'm sorry. Saturday nights. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but we all have things going on in our lives, right? Stuff coming up, whether it's choices, whether it's consequence, whatever it is, we have stuff, and then it just knocks us sideways. But what we can, when we build up that steadfastness, we don't ever have to leave God. We can stay right there in that place and not kick to and fro, not beat around like the waves in the ocean tossed by every wind. Amen? That makes sense? So it's about, it's not always just about going through the pain. It's about having joy in God that we get to go to a father who has answers, who has love for us. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So staying in God, this is a cry out, this is a talk to you about where we're supposed to stay. Where we are supposed to be. We are spiritual beings. We should be in that relationship with God always. And that is the goal, is that we will always be in relationship, close relationship, spiritually, physically, with God. You should always know that God is right there. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and nothing can knock you out of it. Things can suck, and yeah, for you and I, yeah, things are going to knock you out. But remember that you're always welcome back. Come back. God is crying out. Come back. Be right here with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's the wisdom? Let him, let him ask God. 
So if you don't know how to get out of it, James is telling you, if you are in a situation you don't know how to get out of it, like it's not just clicking naturally in the spirit, you can ask God. Ask God for it if you lack wisdom. And God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. But let him ask in faith. What's faith? Remember last week we talked about Hebrews 11. 1. Faith is things hoped for and not yet seen. Right? So, so you can't see your way out of the scenario that you're in. But God has a way out if you only look to God for that. In faith, knowing that God will show you. That God will walk you through it if you will take it to him. If you want to hold it so close and wrap it up and not let anybody have it, then you're probably going to deal with your own stuff for a while. But James is telling you to let it go, give it up to God, ask God, like, how do I get out of this thing? Oh, boy. In trial, the believer must ask for an understanding of the purpose behind the divine permission of the difficulty. An incentive to do this is that God will give generously to those who ask and will not humiliate them asking for asking. Those who face trials with perseverance receive a crown of life from God as a reward for their For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What? Yeah. What is that saying? Bingo. You're waffling on whether God will answer you or not. Anybody like that? Well, God, if you see fit, right? Like you kind of go to him like a beggar and you're not really sure. That's double-minded. You're double-minded. You have the mind, half of your mind stuck in the world and half of your mind stuck in the spirit. You know the right thing to do, but your worldly views will not allow you to get out of it. You need to rectify that and come all the way over to God. There's more than just supposing. There is absolute knowing. Like the scripture does not say maybe he will, maybe he won't. It says it will. Sometimes we need to learn how to spiritually zip it so that we can actually hear what God is saying. Sometimes even those things that we don't necessarily want to hear can be of God and you will know that they are of God when they go along in the scriptures. Right? So try and find it in the word of God before you give up on what God's doing. Does that make sense? So we're going to take a break there. TBC to be continued. Next week I'll push the slides on the word a little bit to the right so that they're not cut off for y'all. But Ruth, there's so much, there's so much here just in the first seven verses. I would encourage each of you to go back in your Bibles, to read them, to write it down, to make a, just a little note about each word. Pay attention to each word. Because some things presuppose other things, and some things back up what's coming. Look forward and look backwards. Check out the context. Check out the meaning and the purpose of the scripture. 
What is God telling you? And then put it to prayer. Okay, God, I get this. I get this mentally. Carnally, I understand. But I need help getting it clear spiritually. Help me to help me to understand spiritually better than I do carnally. Right? Because it makes a difference. Amen? Alright, so we're going to go to our last song of worship as I pray. So if y'all join us for that. So Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that, we thank you that you are who you are, Lord God. We thank you that, Father, you make a way where we see no way, where you love us more than we can even love ourselves. Father, so teach us as a congregation as we walk through James, as we walk through all these words. Let them be more than just words, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.